Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. And our guest, Norman C. Burns, has a 35-year track record of producing groundbreaking copy and award-winning films. Okay, there is some technical difficulty here, so I'm going to go ahead and put this on pause. That was our uh, our welcome uh, introduction. I, I, I assume that was my introduction music. I, I, uh, that I'm was your introduction you. music. It absolutely was. <laughs> I'm going to finish telling our listeners about you, and, uh, and then we can uh, get started with all the wonderful questions that Carol has for you. So, beginning as a stage director, Norman's production work has included features and documentaries, TV series, commercials. He's a member of the Directors Guild of America, Screen Actors Guild, Actors Equity, and the Internet Press Guild. And Carol, I also know that Norman has also been a donor to the Roy Dean Film Grant for many years. Yes, he has. Thank you, Norman, for your ongoing support of emerging and independent filmmakers and for taking good care of the people on our grant and for joining us today. Um, Thank you for having me, Carol. It's always a pleasure to be here. Good. Well, there's so much we want to cover today. We're getting into these five mistakes filmmakers make. But first, I'd just like to know more about your services. So tell us what you do for filmmakers, please. Well, I make films, and it ranges at this stage. I teach others how to make films. I'm a consultant. I'm an advisor. I budget productions. I tell people how to go about getting their funds for their films and how to... set up their production so they can be successful. Um, I'm also working as a showrunner. I'm working for a French company right now called Memento, uh, and I just finished a, a, a reality show down in Miami called uh, 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 Working with the Miami SWAT Unit. Uh, we spent three weeks with them in training um, for their their new show called The Insider, uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. It was great work, and uh, I, I'm going to be going to France soon. We're talking about doing several new series in the states. It's very exciting work. Wow! Oh my goodness, I love France. Which cities would you be going to? Uh, well, we're starting in Paris, but uh, they want me to work here. Unfortunately, I just go over there for the interview, but. Um, they can oh. handle Paris. They can handle they can Paris. Handle. They want me to do Des Moines <laughs> and things like that. Great, great, Norman. Well, um, so you work with people on uh, budgets, uh, funding, raising the money, getting your uh, materials correct. Because I remember um, in one of your classes, you mentioned that you. Uh, won a national grant after sixty a submission of sixty pages. That was the uh, which grant was that, Norman? 
that was for the writing code. Uh, it was a documentary series that we did. It took us uh, one proposal was 60 pages. It was six years of work to get that film uh, produced, six years of active work um, in production because the grants dribbled in. We were never able to get a complete grant uh, so we'd get half our money and being fools that we were and filmmakers, we just started shooting. And then we'd have to stop and raise the rest of the money. It took us a long time, but it was a wonderful series. And where did that, that was on a PBS or ITBS? That was a, a three-part PBS special. Three-part special. Uh, yeah, called The Writing Code. Uh, we explored the history of writing and the evolution of writing. And it, it is a show that I would like to remake every year because writing has, it, it just constantly changes and grows and progresses. Uh, it's such a rich field. It's just amazing. Yes, it is. Well, uh, tell us about your website. It's realgrok.com, R-E-E-L-G-R-O-K.com. There's so many benefits for <laughs> your site. Real real grok is a uh, it's a couple of things, uh, and it's, we've now just celebrated our seventh anniversary, or maybe our sixth anniversary. We're going into our seventh year. It's been a long time, Carol, um, and it has gone through some stages. I use it to teach, and it is my teaching platform. I use it to provide uh, information for, to people so that uh, if somebody wants to know how to put together a budget, they can find files on there about how to and what to do and where to look. And, um, and I also have tons of files, sample budgets. Uh, people simply don't know what's involved in making a budget. And when you're new and you're just starting out and you're given this task, you know, make a budget and come back, and you don't quite understand what that means, you need examples. You need something to say, ah, that's how many grips go on a movie. I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and how are you going to know this? I, we, we used to have an apprenticeship system, and we would train people carefully. And so nobody would think of making a movie until they'd been on 50 movies. Not that way now. You go to, to Walmart, you buy yourself a camera, you download some free software, and you are a filmmaker. And you, you produce for the YouTube studios. And as these people mature, as their products get more interesting, as they want to be better, and everybody always wants to be better. They say, what can I do that's more interesting next time? They want to know how to prepare a budget. How do you raise... To raise a thousand dollars is easy, but when you're trying to raise ten thousand or a hundred thousand or five million, how do you go about it? What are what are the tasks? So I try to provide that information for people. Oh, that's brilliant because I'm asked that all the time, and I send them to your website and to you because <laughs> it's just too complicated. I mean, I can I can help you raise the money, but you got to do a budget. And I've heard you say that you just one of the things you do is you just have to sit down and start calling people locally to find out what the what it costs in your own area, right? I'm working on a budget right now, uh, and this is a, it's a New York film. It's a relatively low budget, so it's not very difficult. But I have to check with each of the unions 
check the union rates. Rates have recently changed. I want to check all the rates. Oh, which contract am I under? Tier one, tier two. Uh, each of those has a slightly separate set of rules, and those rules impact things like when you break, how many hours of overtime, what rate you're paying overtime, and that enormously affects your budget. And when, when you're on tight dollars, when you're, whatever that tight dollar may be, you don't want to be 10% off because that means an extra day or two of shooting, and that's really significant. Right. Well, this is one of the five mistakes filmmakers make. Uh, it's on your list of five mistakes. So uh, let's start with how soon should a filmmaker uh, create their budget? Well, there I don't like the term about a definitive budget. There's, especially in the early stages, these budgets have got to evolve. Uh, a filmmaker will decide, hopefully with some experience, that they're making a film for just arbitrarily a number, a million dollars. I want to make my million-dollar movie. And I've looked at it, and I can do this for a million dollars. So that's, that's your budget. You've now done it. You now, in your next stage, have to sit down and say, wait a minute, I've got so many actors and so many days and so many grips and so many gaffers. Whoops, that's not a million dollars. That's more or that's less. And then you start adjusting your days. You start saying, well, I don't really need a million. I need a million two in order to do what I want to accomplish. And that's one of the most important things is to budget for your vision of the film. Um, there's a company that just makes budgets. Um, you go in, you hand them your script, you answer about a dozen questions, and they hand you a budget back. Just churned out. Uh, and that's wonderful. It certainly gives you a set of numbers, and they're broken into categories, and it looks like a budget, but it's not. It doesn't work out all the problems you're going to face. It doesn't say... Well, if I shoot a 12-hour day on Monday and a 14-hour day on Tuesday, what does that do to my Wednesday? What can I accomplish on that day? And so you, you, you have to adjust to the realities of what you're shooting and how you're shooting. You have to think about where your locations are. Sometimes you have great locations, but you have to take a day off between your locations in order to get to the next one. All of that has to be factored into your budget. And that's a it's, it's a it's a meticulous, time-consuming process. Right. Quite true. Well, but the the, the thing is, um, when you wrote the chapter for me in the book, The Art of Film Funding, you put in there how much control a writer has on a film. So if let's... I think they have uh, writers, uh, well, you, you have to write a script for a doc as well as a feature, but both of these uh, filmmakers who are writing can make it a million dollars or they could make it maybe a half a million dollars if they uh, change things. For example, you uh, talked about in a script, someone said something about the bridge blows up. So, do you remember? You want to take it from there because the, I, 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 I can do I can do the bridge. Um, okay. So the bridge blows up. Says the script. You, you have certain choices 
here. You can go uh, watch the people crossing the bridge, and the bridge blows up, and there's explosions and people flying through the air and rubble, and it's just terrible, just awful. And this is really expensive and time-consuming and going to be difficult. Or you can have people sort of walk out of frame and have things blow back into frame and have people covered with dust and have things blowing into frame and not see the people flying through the air. That's a middling choice that you could make. It still has a lot of action, but doesn't deal with the extreme stunts. Or you can have people come into town all covered with dust, looking like they've just had rocks hurled at them, saying, it's terrible, the bridge just blew up. They all (laughs) convey the same piece of information, but they're done in three different styles and three different budgets. You can write for any one of those, and you certainly can choose to produce for any one of those, and they all tell the same story. Right. So because on the other side of the budget is raising the money. So I, I, in filmmakers that I've worked with, uh, particularly I think of one whose budget was around $3 million. And I think that, um, you know, I said, okay, now how are we going to get this $3 million? Oh, well, I don't think that's a problem. You know, have you ever raised money before? No, but it's not going to be a problem. Well, I'm the Pollyanna of the universe, and I think that's the actual, the perfect way to go in, knowing that you can get the money. But there has to be some concrete uh, working names or people, uh, you have to know where to go to get the money. If you had a, if you belong to Harvard or Yale, and you could join your classmates in breakfast and luncheons and events, and talk to those other people who were entrepreneurs, and you knew you had a way to get in like that to raise money, that's great. But if you don't have that and you're standing there with a $3 million budget or even a $1 million in today's world. It's daunting, right, Norman? I mean, it, 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 It's horribly daunting. And I, I, I'd like all of those people on my show who say raising the money is no problem. Uh, I need them. I need them. But they're lying for the most part, or they're very optimistic. Uh, I Most filmmakers, I was going to say none, but let me say most filmmakers will say, this is going to be easy to raise this money. And they're basing that not on who they know, because if they really know those people, they'll have raised their money and gone and made their movies. They're not going to be talking to you in May. (laughs) That's right. But they are talking to us, so therefore they haven't raised their money. Um, They will base this on their enthusiasm. It's, it will be no problem because it's a wonderful story, because it's really heartfelt, because I'm going to do some wonderful casting, because my director has promised me an Academy Award-winning film. Those don't sell films. They're wonderful on the, on the, on the one sheet that you're using to promote your show, but they won't sell your show. Exactly. Well, I I find the producers that I work with Tom Malloy uh, and some uh, were friends, and I've just seen him uh, pare down from he was he did a fourteen million dollar film and 
he's now doing things around a million or under a million. He's making them, selling them, making another and selling it. And he's a writer, and he's writing to the script, just like you talked about with the bridge. So don't, aren't you seeing that as the new way or the a good way to go for filmmakers? Well, as we have a, we have a new distribution paradigm. We, we 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 no longer make our film, sell it to a distributor who sends it out to the the theaters. Remember when there were theaters? You'd go to share <laughs> and sit. That is gone. It doesn't. It exists, but not for mere mortals. It exists for major films that come out of studios. Mere mortals are facing a completely different universe. We are going to, for the most part, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, we're going to self-distribute our film. We're going to self-promote it. That doesn't mean we don't hire people, but we're generating this process. We are going to distribute it directly. We're going to distribute it for uh, streaming download. We're going to uh, uh, sell DVDs. We're going to maybe maybe give lectures and and sell our DVDs at the lectures. We the the ability to sell your film, clap your hands and walk away and sit home and collect your residuals, is is something of another era. So we're forced um, to make films for less money. There there are disadvantages for the filmmaker in doing that. The biggest advantage is that you get to make films. You get to make one, like your friend. You make one, make another one, make another one, because they're small, they're manageable. You could actually sell them. There's a huge market for selling films. If everybody in China were to pay five cents to see your movie, you'd be a very rich person. We just have to aim them correctly for the audience that's out there. Oh, all right. So that takes us into item number two. Um, identifying the audience is another mistake you say that filmmakers uh, make. Let's talk about uh, that. Well, when you make your film, you, you have to know who you're making it for. Um, and unless you're Orson Welles, I don't even know if it's true of Orson Welles, but you're not making it for yourself. You're, you're, you're hoping to sell this piece, and it has to appeal to someone. And you have to ask yourself, who does this film appeal to? To whom does this film appeal? Um, it, the answer that I get when I ask this in class is, my film appeals to everybody. Well, no, it doesn't. It really, really doesn't. All right, well, it appeals to men and women. Well, all right, does that mean it doesn't appeal to, to teenagers? Oh, no, no, them too. Let's stop who does it appeal to? Well, mostly people uh, uh, 18 to 40. Okay, good. That's an age range. What do they do for a living? What do you mean? Well, do they golf? Do they uh, play tennis? Do they climb mountains? Do they uh, knit? What do they do? Oh, like romance? Do they like adventure? And on and on and on. You want to make your audience as specific as possible. And if you get them down, you make it so granular that you can practically see the names of the people, there are still millions of them that are available to see your film. But now you know who you're talking to. And when you make your film, you know who you're talking to. And when you go to sell your film, you know who to reach. 
because we're selling our films directly, we have to know who to market to. We don't have unlimited dollars. We can't you know, simply take out an ad on television and, and hit everybody. We have to target our sales, whether it's uh, a, a direct mailer, whether it's uh, uh, emails that you're sending out, whether it's phone calls that you're making or, or groups you're organizing. You have to know what those groups are in order to get them to see your film. Exactly. Um, because I'm teaching uh, intentional filmmaking where we use our minds to help fund our film. So it's getting people to the place where they believe that they really can raise the money and so they mentally can move into this daunting process of the three to $800,000 they need for their feature or their doc or even higher. But the thing that we do at the beginning is I ask, who is your audience? <laughs> Nobody, it's on the phone we have it, and nobody answers me. Well, everybody is the normal answer. Norman, That's exactly this is, right, yeah. You can't make a film like that anymore. You've got to know your audience because um, you, one of the girls that won my grant and a great film about Johnny Cash and the Carter Cash family uh, was talking to iTunes about uploading it with them, and they said, well, you've got to have 5,000 names on Facebook. And she only had 4,000. So she was out asking everybody, join my Facebook, please. Uh, Social networking, it's the tail wagging the dog now. That's correct. That's correct. So, all right. Let's go to number three, which you say are business plans. And and my first question is, do you think documentaries need a business plan like features? Well, yes, but it's somewhat different. Uh, If you're going for federal funding or you're going to any granting organization, you you have to explain how you're going to market your film, who's going to see it, where it's going to go, um, uh, how you're going to sell it. How you're setting up a business? How are you going to uh, make that business profitable? And um, if you're doing a documentary, and let's say it's funded by a granting organization, so there's no profits involved, there is still the profit of eyeballs. There's the profit of participation. There's the profit of viewer enthusiasm, and that's enormously valuable to funders. Um, and to some funders, that's much more valuable than if everybody paid a dollar. It doesn't matter as much. But if you get people watching the film, paying attention to the message, looking at the sponsors, that's enormously valuable. So, But you have to plan that. You have to know what the business is, and you have to know how you're going to approach that business and how much you're going to spend where. You you whatever your budget is, you don't just have a budget for your film. You have a budget for your operations. You have a budget for your promotion and your advertising and your all the other little pieces. Um, well, how are you going to apportion that money? Where are you going to spend it? And how do you value each of those expenses? When you say $10,000 for festivals and $10,000 for advertising, where do those numbers come from? And how do you justify using a rather large amount of money for those? What's the return? You need to look at your whole scope of your business all the way from starting out to finishing up. Do you do business plans, Norman? 
Oh, yeah, reluctantly, but I do. It's a lot. Of okay, good. That's good to know because <laughs> when you say that to a filmmaker, they just turn yellow. No, no. So that's good. Well, but it's very true now. But then you have the marketing. You see, most of the time they, nowadays they have to do their own marketing. Uh, before distributors would pick that up, but now uh, most filmmakers are saying that sometimes the marketing budget is almost as big as the production budget. Well, it should. What be. do you? It find? should be. It's it, it's huge. No marketing is well, or you make your movie, whatever the cost of the movie, it serves no purpose unless you can sell it. Uh, it sits there. You've accomplished it. You've done your work, but if you hope to make your next film, if you hope to make some money on the deal, because at these small budgets, you really don't make a huge amount of money given all the time that's involved. Uh, Maybe you make something close to a living wage, but you're not going to live high on on these small budgets. You're trying to put as much as you can into the production. Then you're going to make your money on the sale. So how are you going to sell it? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to approach? Uh, are you selling it internationally? Or are you selling it nationally? When you say, I'm going to market it, what market? Where? How do you approach it? You started talking about social media. Uh, how do you leverage social media to sell your film? Well, you can't. If you have 5,000 fans on your Facebook page, that's 5,000 people who can talk about your film. And presumably they each know two or three or four people. And if you can get them talking, well, that's a huge impact. This isn't just something you hear on the radio. This is your friend Mary calling you up and saying, hey, I heard about a movie. Want to go see it? Well, Or want to go download it, whatever the deal may be. That's enormous. That has great weight. And if we don't nurture it, it's of no value. So marketing is, you're, you're going to get, Reviews. I don't care that it's not in the theater. You're going to get people to review your film. And that may mean because you're nobody, and you're you're nobody not because you're nobody, but because your film isn't in a major theater. To that world, that's how we identify you. So you're nobody. But how do you approach your reviewers? Well, maybe you start with small reviewers at small newspapers. You work your way up. Or you take somebody to lunch. You've got to spend FaceTime. You cannot do all of this on your email. You can't just send text messages. You've got to be in this personally, and you have to be deeply involved to market your film. Yes, you do, Norman. Very important. Right. And, I mean, because the we, you and I worked on handshakes many times, I bet you. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Make deals, well, handshakes. Literally, literally, you and I have with each other. Yeah. We we actually have. Yes, right. And this is what the way it used to be. And I don't know about it now, but the point is, it's a you meet someone, you get to know their energy, who they are, and you feel you can trust them because this is the most important thing in our business. A hundred percent trust you must have with the people you work with. And when you have that, you just your creativity flourishes, flourishes, and you're often running, making your film, and you know that that arm or that part of the film is covered. Carol, that, I, I get, I, I get, I get uh, 50 text messages a day. I get 150 emails a day, and 
maybe 10 phone calls and maybe one person who stops by. Guess who I remember? Guess who I remember? Of course, the person who came to see you. Wonderful. It's, you know, it's massive. We we have lost the fact that we are humans and we thrive on, on human contact. And so it's we need to keep that up if you're going to market your film. You are the face of your film. That's the, the, the critical thing. And if you could hire somebody to market your film, you'd make this up. If I had all the money in the world, what would I want somebody to do? You'd want them out there in the field, buttonholing the people who are going to watch your film, physically selling your film. And unfortunately, that's probably going to be you, the filmmaker. It means you've got to put on your big boy pants and do it. Yes, right. Well, as a showrunner, you're doing that, aren't you? As a showrunner, you would be meeting a lot of people to talk about a show. I, I try to, yes. That's that's part of the plan, yes. But I also, just because it's my bent, I deal with nuts and bolts. I deal with production. I deal with making sure my camera is in the same place as my camera operator. <laughs> right. Okay, let's go to item number four, sales projections. Well, Do they even uh, have? I've never seen a grant proposal after maybe... Thousands and thousands I've seen through my grant. I've never seen a sales projection. Well, grants grants are, if you're dealing with with uh, documentaries, it's more difficult. But because I can't, I can't. Dollars are hard in sales. However, let's say you plan on making a film, a documentary, and you're going to distribute to an unpaying outlet, PBS, let us say. So we have eyeballs, but we have no income from this. Well, zero sales, but good promotion. If you're smart, you don't let it lie. You promote the hell out of it. You scream, you yell, you jump up and down, you tweet 24 hours a day to get people to tune in. The more people who tune in, the more PBS or other another outlet pays attention to your work. Incredibly important. So you now haven't sold anything, but you've done some great promotion for your work. Now you could talk about how many DVDs you can sell, what kind of streaming you can sell in your film. Do you have that potential? If you do have the potential, you have a product that somebody's going to want to download from Netflix somehow. But uh, what can you charge for it? What's a, the going rate? And for a film of your type, how many downloads happen? What's the average? These numbers are very hard to get. You either spend a lot of time scouring the databases, you you sign up for Baseline and, and IMDb Pro and anything else you can to extract those numbers, or you hire somebody who does this for a living. They have formulas that they've developed over time of what sells where. Uh, because if I'm going to give you my money, whatever my money may be, whether it's an endowment or a, a uh, uh, an investment, I want to know what happens to this film. I can't afford to just give you my money. Can't can't do that because then I run out of money. 
So whether my sales are returned in dollars or they're returned in value, I want to know what the sales projections are. Who's going to see it? What's What are the outlets? What kind of money is potential? What kind of promotion is potential? Um, if you're certainly if you're giving a grant, you say, well, there's no money, but I'm screening this for, I don't know, um, NYU and the entire student body. Well, that's worth it. That's a great projection. That is marvelous because that generates interest. That generates people. And if you're smart, um, you try not to screen your whole film. So you can say, hey, if you want to see it all, you want to see the outtakes. You want to see the important footage, the, the interviews that didn't make it into this film. You can buy your own copy. Okay. So those have to be somewhere. Yes. Oh, they do. And and as you were talking, I flashed on an application I got for a grant a couple of years ago. And actually, she won the grant because she had her distribution and income outlined in this uh, sales projection, just like you're talking about. She had covered all of those areas, and she had a return on investment or her what she thought she would get back. And she won our grant because all the judges said, great, we want to see her make money, get paid for her work, and so give her the grant. And that's what they did. So it, very much it is uh, appreciated by judges who are looking at other people's work because we want to make sure that you make money so you can make another film. That, that the filmmaker makes money, that the film gets seen, that the endowing organization gets the promotion that they deserve. Uh, this crosses all the barriers. This is really important for everyone involved. Yes, thank you so much for that. It is. Now let's go to number five, which is marketing plans. Tell us how we would find and create a marketing plan. Well, it, this touches on all of the other things. It, it becomes the the part of it that says, yeah, how? Um, what are you physically going to do? Um, how will you – I understand you're going to sell it on uh, eBay, but how are you going to do that? What what kind of money are you going to invest? Who's going to actually do this physical work? Do they have any experience doing it? Again, you're tied into your, your, your sales projections. What do you hope to see as a return on this? But your marketing, if you're, if you're very smart, and we call it marketing and promotion, uh, used to be P&A, prints and advertising, and now it's M&P, marketing and promotion. Um, I just made that up, and I've trademarked it already, so no, you can't use it without paying. Okay. Uh, uh, you you have got to start almost from day one. If you're really, really good, you start marketing your film before you start shooting. You start generating excitement for it. You, If you're really clever, you start marketing your film while you're in the middle of production and you post stills of the show and you do interviews with your actors and you do bits and you get one of your your key people, your set designer, your, your wardrobe designer, to do an article and post a blog 
and then you promote the hell out of it. You need to generate word of mouth. We don't have a studio machine to generate all of this publicity for us to handle it. We have to do it. And so you have to think of every possible way to market your film, to generate interest in it. And the fact is, I know everybody gets into it, they get very deep, and it's really hard work, and you're sweating, incredibly busy. But to the outside world, this is the sexiest, most exciting thing in the world. We're making a movie. And that really is interesting. And if we can just convey our passion to the world with this as the vehicle and say, look, I love it so much, look what I'm doing, people will pay attention and you build your marketing plans. I want to know how you're going to do it. And the more exact you can be, the more specific you can be, the better you are because, like the person you gave the grant to, it is impressive that the filmmaker has thought through the problems. Has said, well, if I go here on Monday, whoops, can't go there on Tuesday, I better go to this place. They've actually thought through the details of marketing the film. That doesn't mean they're going to be married to every moment, but they've looked at everything that's possible. They've explored it. They've made giant lists of things to be done and the people who can do it. And that's a huge advantage. Yes, it is. To us, it was, and to her, it was. And she did what she had written. She certainly did. She got her film in all of those areas. um, How did her film do, Carol? Uh, it's called Running Wilds, a story of Dayton Ohio, who took on uh, some horses that were caught in pens where they they were brought in from the wild, some wild horses, and they the government <coughs> shut down the killing process, but then they just left them sitting in pens, and he adopted them, got some land, put them on the land. And she just told this story in such a beautiful way, and uh, she's, it's on Netflix, and it's been on uh, other programs. I've forgotten all the places that she got it on. But the, but she loved what she was doing, and she told a heartfelt story. And it is, um, I think it's an important historical document that showed that what one man can do when there's passion involved. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Tell me the name well, again. Um, running... Wild. Running wild. Thank you. Thank you. Well, but, Norman, I, you run this massive group on LinkedIn, and uh, so I, I want you to tell us some things about the group. And uh, so let's start with, do you think that LinkedIn is good for filmmakers? I think all outlets are good for filmmakers, Uh these outlets are only as good as what you make them. LinkedIn is cumbersome. It's uh, it's oriented more for business than it is for creativity. It's not the world's best platform for promoting personal things. However, that said, it is a platform for promoting things. And I don't think, given that we're in this, we could afford to let anything go by. And it's vast. My group has, as of today, I think 183,000 members. That's enormous. Wow. That is so huge. When I, when I put out an email, 
I'm reaching 183,000 people. Um, as I've discovered, most of them are very sleepy and not paying attention. But I am still contacting those people. And if I can tailor my message, they will respond, and they do. So it's there are there are hundreds of groups. Uh, I, I like mine because it's mine, and I think it's smarter than everybody else's. But there are, but there are enormous numbers of groups, and there are probably groups of people who care about what you're making your film about. They really do. I don't care what it is. You're you're making your film about the depth of the holes in your bowling ball, and you will find a bowling ball hole depth organization (laughs) that discusses this in great detail. And it will have hundreds or thousands of members. That is wonderful. Well, uh, what is the title of your group, and how do we find it? My group, uh, Unlinked, is Film and Television Professionals. I have to warn you, there are uh, about a dozen other groups with names that are almost identical. I think mm-hmm. I didn't form this group. It was formed, and then I took it over. But it must have been, you know, on one Monday, everybody decided to call their group the same thing. And then so they, there's film and TV professionals. There's film ampersand television professionals. They are so close. All I can tell you is it is on LinkedIn. It is film and television professionals. And as of this morning, I have 183,000 members. Um, there is one, I believe, that's larger, and uh, everybody else is a little bit smaller. Uh, but if you look for that magic number, you'll find me. Okay, good. Well, um, tell me what are the benefits of of your group? Uh, for me or for the members? There is a place to communicate. There's a place to ask questions. There's a place to bounce your ideas, to share the things that you're doing, to say, uh, I, I don't, I, I have set up this group to not have a lot of, hey, look at my movie, because I, I everybody has a movie, and uh, when I first took over this group, there were literally 150 posts a day of, hey, look at my movie. Um, You find nothing through that cacophony of of screaming. So I tried to set up my main group to talk about the problems in filmmaking, the facts of filmmaking, who's doing what, where they're doing it, how they're doing it, what's the new camera. Uh, and then I've set up sections, little little corners for people who want to promote their material or people who want to post jobs or, or various corners for various things, people running seminars. I've got a separate group for that. Um, I want people to find a place where they can get information or ask questions. And uh, that's the benefit of members. Uh, when asked correctly, when asked wisely, the questions get answers. When asked stupidly, uh, most people tend to ignore it. It's quite interesting. Hmm. Great. Oh, I think it sounds marvelous because uh, filmmakers come up with some really difficult questions sometimes, and, uh, and I have been sending them to your group. Because, I mean, Thank you. 
Yes, I think it's really important to because there could be three answers to that question that they asked me, and they will definitely get maybe ten different answers from your from that amount of people, and that's what you need so you can choose what works for you. You you need you need the the, the group you need a group answer, and when it's technical, uh, this technology is changing by the second. I. I keep revising my budgets because you start out with a with a template, but post production workflow keeps changing and it changes with every camera you use. So every time you do a film, I've got to say, whoops, what's the new camera and what's the workflow with that camera? This is an ongoing question, and filmmakers have got to have a place to to ask that. To say I'm using the new red or whatever the camera of the moment is, the purple. Uh, what do I do? Where do I go? What what happens in the editing room? Norman, this um, a friend of mine, Sam Delugich, is a great colorist, and he says that now there are so many buttons and things on these new cameras that if your cameraman decides just to try that button and shoot it, it may throw everything out and cost you a fortune in post. <laughs> Yes, I for the most part uh those buttons are to be left alone uh unless you really really know what you're doing. Uh I... it, 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 you can't do it. You cannot do it. The the uh uh you there are so many variations and it is somewhat foolish to do it because you can do almost all of this in post. And if you're looking for an incredibly specific effect that can only be done live in camera, you better know what you're doing and you better run some tests on it first. Run some tests, exactly. Well, I just want to recap now. So the five mistakes, and, and I want you to add in or think about what else you might want to add to, to these, but I think they're so important because I totally agree with you. I see this so often. The One is identifying your audience. Two is creating a valid budget. And three uh, is a business plan. Four is a sales projection. And the fifth is a marketing plan, right? That, that is it. I, I would add one thing about budget. I always go back to budgets. Budgets, when you go to your investor, are exact numbers. You can come in with a couple of variations, but you don't. You cannot go to your financial person and say, I'm looking for a budget somewhere between 150000 and $9 million. And <laughs> it depends on, Carol, I've seen people do that. I am sure you have, too. Yes. And, I'm sorry? Yeah, I have. I'm totally with you. Yeah, it's it's. Well, I do understand it. You know, if I have to do this out of my own pocket, it's 150000 But if I can get it, yeah, I get all of that. But you're going to an investor now. What movie are you making? Which movie do you want to have an investor put money into? And you've got to decide that before you go into a meeting. You're talking to an investor who counts pennies. He really goes over financial returns and counts the pennies at the end of the dollars to be sure things add up properly. You cannot say, I'm looking for a budget between you know, 1 and $37 million. It, They won't accept it. And so when you walk in, 
you've got to know what film you're making. My film costs $1.257 million. That's the amount I need. Let me tell you what I'm doing with that money. And if your investor then says to you, but couldn't we hire bigger name actors? Well, sure, of course you can. Everything has a price to it. You can also shoot in Tahiti, but everything has a price. But that's, that's a different budget. That's something else. That's not why you're there. You're there for one specific person, uh, purpose, and that's to talk to this person about this specific budget. Well said. Absolutely, and that's when uh, the accountant who's sitting there watching you like a hawk says, okay, that's my kind of guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Oh, well, we've only got a few minutes left, but I know that I just wanted to ask you, because you mentioned before, so I, what do you think about um, the the business world that we live in, our filmmaking world, and do you find that there is inequity in our workplace and the jobs given to women? Um, there is inequity to the jobs given to everyone who's not a white male, uh, and it's horrible. We are losing access to such talent, and it is so stupid. I, I just read today that uh, uh, the ACLU is considering suing the Hollywood studios because of for sex, sex discrimination for not hiring women. Um, wow. That, here's a number I just saw. In 2014, um, 7% of the top 250 films were directed by women. 11% were written by women. But there's parity in this world. You know, 50-50, men, women. Well, how can this be? How are we not hiring women to do these kinds of jobs? It's, it's unbelievable. I I get I get 80% of my grants, no, 75 actually, uh, come from women. Okay, that's good. So that gives you an idea that they are very strong in this industry in making films. And so they are, you know, they're out there applying for grants, working hard, and yet they're the least to get... Uh, jobs in the industry. It makes no sense to me. Hollywood has always been an old boys club. Um, it, it's simply always been the way it's been, and it's very hard to break that. Yeah, I understand that. And, 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 I, and I, don't, I don't get it. I don't think audiences care. I don't think the people who watch movies care whether it's a man or a woman directing it. Um, I I think about 80% of the audience would have no idea who the director was or what they did. They're just there to watch a movie. And if it's a good movie, they like it. If it's not a good movie, they don't. And we, we, yeah. need, to get, we need to get the sexism out of it. it. It doesn't make any sense. We're not giving speaking parts to women. We're not letting women act their age. Uh, we're hiring younger women to play older roles because they look better? Well, no. I happen to like the way older women look. They look like people. We need to start hiring people. 
That's so good. Thank you, thank you very much for that. And for all, I'm speaking for all the women now. We really appreciate that, and for the uh, the minority races. I mean, it's amazing because what that's what we want to do with our grant is we're looking to find the next Spike Lee or the next. Uh, uh, American, who a woman who is making something exciting, and we just need more um, to create more filmmakers that are from uh, for women or minor- minorities. So, like you said, besides the white male, but the main thing is to build this up so there is some equality in our business. Uh, there has to be. In, in the material I've looked at, and this is painful to say, I can tell on the work that's submitted by women, usually, because it's more carefully done, it's better researched, it's more thoughtfully created. And that's a terrible thing to say about the men who are getting most of the work. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, this has been so delightful. I really appreciate your time and your kindness for giving us all this advice. Now, I just want to say again, your website is www.realreelgrok.com. It, it is indeed. We are. I was hoping to be able to announce that the site was new. We are in the final throes of, of writing it by my, my Coder has just come into enormous difficulties. We have a database collapse on it, so he is restoring it. Um, we should be – it exists now. It's there. I promise you within a few days or a few weeks at the most, it will look much better, and the amount of material will be much greater. Um, and if I, if I don't have what you need on Real Grok, call me. My number's on there. My email is on there. I want to find it for you, and I may have better sources than you have, and I will hunt for it. Excellent. I know how you are with that. You are so thorough. Thank you very much for that. So Film A&D and Television Professionals is the uh, LinkedIn group with 183,000 members. I recommend you join the group learn so much, take your questions there, learn a lot about your fellow filmmakers and what they're doing and uh, get the answers to the questions. But And thank you so much for joining us, Norman. I hope that you uh, will continue to come back every year. We really enjoy keeping up with your exciting growth uh, and life, your business. Thank you, Carol. It's always a pleasure being here, and I'm always happy to come back. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's been a joy. Thank you, Claire, for a wonderful show. Yes, thank you both. And uh, Thanks, Claire. Look thank forward... you for the time. Sure, yes. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing more of your work out there in the future. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn frequently, so I'm going to look for your group and uh, see what else I can learn. Excellent. I'll look for you. All right. All right. Take good care, all. Be well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. 
create your story structure and your trailer, legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N, dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.